So this traditionally is the Advent season, isn't that right? Where Christians all over the world think about the coming of Christ, think about the incarnation, that Jesus came and humbled himself as a human being. And God came, incarnated himself. The, 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 the God of eternity came and made himself flesh and dwelt amongst us. That's what we celebrate at this time of year. That's what we think about. And so it's appropriate that um, we are studying this portion right now. And for those of you that are visiting, we're thinking about the book of Philippians, what it means. And we've been busy for about 12 weeks now, and we're on chapter 2, verse 9. And we're going to read. Sorry, that's how we do it. <laughs> we take a long time. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. All right? And we're going to read verse 9 and 13 together. And it says this. Therefore... God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we kind of looked at that last week. And this is what we're going to look at this week. Therefore, my beloved, as you, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His, God, His good pleasure. So Jesus, I pray that you'd help me. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. Help me communicate. Help, help me to connect with people's hearts this morning. This is your word, and you want to speak to us. And I pray that you do that now by the power of your spirit, that all of us would be refreshed and encouraged and become more and more like your son. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this is a beautiful chapter. This chapter 2 is an, an absolutely beautiful chapter. And we discovered uh, last week... That Jesus, who was fully God, chose to humble himself and empty himself. Uh, and I alluded to this uh, last week as well. Um, from the 19th century onwards, you know, people think they're really clever. And, and hum human beings pride themselves on their intellect. And uh, in the 18th century, 19th century, there was, these, there was a movement called the Enlightenment where there was a move towards rational thinking that we could understand everything. And so basically, Enlightenment theologians said, basically, I'm summarizing what they said. They said this, Jesus was a peasant 2,000 years ago. He wasn't an educated person, and the disciples largely were peasants. What did they really know about God's Word? We need to understand God's Word with our enlightened thinking of the 19th and 20th century and look back and reinterpret what the, uh, Paul and all the apostles wrote down and said. And so Jesus, when it says here, that he emptied himself, what it really meant, Paul was kind of, didn't really know what was going on, but what it really meant was that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity. And so there was this thing called the Kairos uh, 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 theory, that, that God emptied, uh, Jesus emptied himself of, of his divinity, so when he came to earth, he wasn't God anymore, he was just a human being. And so that's affected the church for many years now. But I believe the Bible is quite plain. And when Paul says these things, he doesn't contradict himself. What he says in Philippians doesn't contradict Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians and Romans and all the other things and the Gospels. There's a consistency. And so I, I, I want to I, I try to show you last week what that means is that Jesus simply came and, and didn't take advantage of the fact that he was God. 
He didn't exploit his, 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 uh, the fact that he had all knowledge and power and wealth and com- community with the Father. He didn't exploit those things to his advantage here on earth, but he chose rather to come and live as a servant. He didn't choose to be born as a politician. Boris Johnson, whoever, wants power. Didn't choose to come like that. He came to choose as a s- servant. Didn't come as a higher educated person. Came as a servant and, and identified with us in every way. And so he, he came as someone who consciously chose humility as the way to serve humanity. That's what it means. Philippians chapter 2, the verses we studied last week. And I put it to you last week. It's, it's one thing to be humbled by something. I've, in my life now, I'm 53. I've been humbled by some things in my life. I've made some mistakes. I've hurt some people. I've, I've not done as well as I could have as a dad and as a husband and all those things. Those things humble you, don't they? They kind of kick some of the, the sort of, you know, when you in, the, in your 20s, you think you, you know everything about the world and actually you're going to put it to right. And then in your 30s, you find out, well, maybe it's not so easy. And in your 40s, you understand that actually your father was quite wise in what he said to you. Yes? You have, you're going to discover it, guys. So it's one thing when you are humbled by circumstances or by things in your life, but it's quite another thing to humble yourself. And that's what uh, Jesus did. He deliberately took on a direction for his life that was humbling, that led to humiliation, that led to embarrassingly ugly death on a cross. That's exactly what those verses say. And yet there was reward for him. And here's the beauty of these verses. There was reward for him. Therefore, because of the, of the choice that he had made, the conscious choice to humble himself and to embrace the cross and to die an ugly, embarrassing death, because of that, Paul says, therefore, God has ex- highly exalted him. The name above every name. Because he chose one pathway for his life. And that little therefore is absolutely vital because it is therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, God has exalted him. And he's the name above every name. And so I want to say something to you this morning that you might find surprising. But, but God always rewards obedience. Just as he rewarded Jesus for obedience, he will reward us for obedience. And we're not saved by our obedience. For those of you that know me, I'm a grace guy. I'm a gospel guy. We do nothing to contribute anything to our salvation. It is all a gift. We are, you know what the good definition of faith is for me? A beggar standing with open hands. When you want to understand faith, just have that picture in your mind. God, I want, I want faith right now. What is, what is faith right now? It's I'm a beggar holding out my hands to you and saying, Jesus, I can't do this by myself. That is faith. And so, you know, I'm a grace guy. I love the gospel. But God rewards obedience at the same time. Remember, I've said, just, let's reflect a little bit on last week. No advantage Jesus took for himself. He didn't use his position to boast, to become proud. He didn't use his position to make other people feel inferior to him, did he? He wasn't self-centered. He didn't practice any kind of discrimination. Think about that. He was willing to do whatever God asked, even to look foolish, even to look like he didn't know things. He didn't care what people thought about him. How about that one? How many of us aren't motivated by what people think about us? 
Jesus didn't care what people thought about him. He didn't demand anything for himself. He became a real human being. He was emotionally knew. He knew how uh, what emotional his emotional life was like. He, he he became weak. He became thirsty. He was exhausted. He was really tempted, and he did all of that to surrender his glory and his home in heaven and come and accept. His Father's will, which was a vile death on the cross, so that you and I could know our Father in an intimate way. That's what He chose. Therefore, God exalted Him. He was rewarded for His obedience, and God exalted Him and His name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every tongue would know that He is the Christ. And so... The Bible says it in all different ways, doesn't it? There's other, the other scripture that says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And he was rewarded for that by his Father. And remember, these verses that we're looking at today are continuing Paul's encouragement of verse 5. If you look in your Bible, if you've got your Bible, look at Paul's encouragement in verse 5. What is his, ver- his encouragement? He's just continue that. He says we have the same mind as Christ, the same attitude, the same mentality as Jesus. And he describes that in verse 6 to 8. Who did not consider equality with God to be exploited, but rather humbled himself. We looked at that last week. And so I want to say, just as we have the same mind of Christ, the same attitude in humbling ourselves, we are to have the same mind as Jesus did in expecting reward. And that's why I'm saying to you, you might find this a little bit strange this morning. Do you expect reward in your life? Are you living for reward? Because Jesus lived for reward. And I believe every one of us as Christians should be motivated by reward. I want to hear one day God say to me, Well done, good and faithful servant. You persevered. You didn't give up. You loved me. I want to live for that. We are motivated by heavenly reward. I want to encourage you this morning to be motivated by reward. Just as Jesus was exalted. What does it say? He was given a name. The name above every name. You and I will be given a name. Part of our reward starts in Genesis, doesn't it? The great theme. Genesis 12, 12, where, where 12 verse 2, where God says to Abraham, I will make your name great, and through you, every nation of the world will be blessed. Remember, Genesis 12, that's the promise. What happens? Genesis 15, he gets saved. It simply says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was saved at that moment. Did he, was his name great immediately then when he was saved? No, it wasn't. It took a whole long time for, of Abraham learning to walk by faith and to exercise patience in his life that he started to receive the fullness of his reward. And his name was made great, but not immediately. And isn't that true for your and my life? That's how it works. We are saved instantly. God has a plan and a purpose and an inheritance for you and I, and we are living for that reward. But we don't get it straight away. <laughs> 
We have to exert faith. We have to live like beggars with open hands and say, Jesus, this life, I can't work, walk it without you. Won't you help me? And as we walk by faith with extended hands, we receive grace and we hear the Holy Spirit and our reward begins to come as we are faithful. He rewards our obedience. Our obedience doesn't save us. We're already saved. But he blesses our obedience. With through faith and patience, we receive the promise. That's why Paul says... Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name. And so I want to encourage you, as I'm trying to encourage myself. You might find it strange, but I believe every Christian, every one of us, should want greatness. But we are to want it God's way. That's the difference. We are want to want greatness. We, it should be true of everyone. But I, I'm not saying this in an unkind way, but some people don't want greatness. Some people, uh, perhaps they're not ambitious in that way, or they're too lazy to work hard to achieve something in their life. But all of us wa should want greatness. All of us should be living for the well done, good and faithful servant. That's the kind of greatness I want for my life. But we want it God's way. We don't want it in the way of the world. And so I want to say to you, if you are really ambitious, if you have an ambitious te te temper temperament, that's great. I don't have any problem with that, but I say to you, be ambitious in God's way. Yes? If you are more kind of laid back and you need some motivation to, to work hard and achieve some things in your life, I say to you the same thing. Be ambitious in God's way for your life. The same applies to all of us, regardless of our personality or temperament. Be ambitious, but in God's way, as Jesus was. And what was the pathway that he chose? He chose humility to find greatness. Because he humbled himself, therefore God exalted him and made him the name above every name. And so remember, what's the great encouragement Paul is trying to get into the Philippians and to us? Remember, he started by saying at the beginning... If you love Jesus, then I want you to get on with each other. This is a, an appeal for humility and for unity in the local church. And he's continuing that appeal. And he's saying um, uh, that it's the great thing that we have to work towards, that it doesn't come naturally. And now the, cr the crux, now the big, big thing. Go back, please. Verse 8. Oh, didn't I? Oh, well, okay, I want, to, I want to land on this here quickly. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, here's the big thing we want to talk about this morning, as you've always, always, obeyed, always obeyed, obeyed, so now, only as if I put much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Can I say this to you? I'm a grace guy. I said it already. And yet, I want to say to you, work out your own salvation. What does that mean? I'm not angry. Sorry, I'm a bit loud. <laughs> work out your own salvation. What do I mean by that? I mean that every Christian, every one of us, takes responsibility for our own lives. Yes? Take responsibility under Christ, under the Holy Spirit, for your own life. There are some things that are sheer gift from God. We make no human contribution whatsoever to these things. This is the gospel I preach. You know it. None of us was present at creation. We contributed nothing. None of us made any contribution whatsoever. And in the same way, we do not save ourselves. We do not give ourselves the Holy Spirit. 
We did nothing to deserve the first breath of eternal life that God gave us. God saved us while we were still dead in our sin. You know these things? We don't justify ourselves. It's Him who justifies us. We're not saved by our own effort, our own righteousness. These things are all a sheer gift from God. You know that I'm convinced of that. I hope you are. Yet, there are aspects of the Christian life that demand that you are involved in that part of your life and you take responsibility for it. Work out your own salvation, says Paul. Do you notice he doesn't say you work out anyone else's salvation? <laughs> you don't worry about other people. You work out your own salvation. You take responsibility for your own life. Once we, was, we were dead in our sins, but now that we are saved, we are no longer dead in our sins. What does the Scripture say? We have become alive in Christ, and there's a new creation. And on the inside, there's power by the Holy Spirit. And because there's power on the inside, we take responsibility to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our own lives. And we start to work out our own salvation. Do you notice? Paul doesn't say, produce good works to justify yourself. He doesn't say that. He says, work out what God has already done in you. Do you notice he doesn't say, work hard for your salvation. You're already saved. You don't have to try and justify yourself. No, our first receiving of salvation is a sheer gift from God. We're saved by faith, and we simply put out our empty hands as beggars. And he's not contradicting himself here in Philippians with what he teaches at other places. He's saying, work out what God has already given. Remember I told you this before? That's the big picture that the way the New Testament teaches holiness. You read all the letters. Therefore... God has done the big thing. This is what God has done for you in the person and the work of Jesus. Therefore, let your life begin to conform to what God has already done for you. The thing that you've already received as a sheer gift from God, let your life begin to conform to that. That's how holiness works. And so I want to say, just point out to you this morning that... When Paul says that this thing of working out your salvation, he's pointing us back to what he's already said at the end of the first chapter. What did he say at the end of the first chapter? He said, live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Remember? We studied it only a couple of weeks ago. Live a life that is worthy of the gospel. He's making the same appeal. He's pointing them back, and that's what he's saying when he says, work out your salvation. He's, saying, he's pointing back to that and saying, this is what you do. You live a life that is worthy of the gospel, worthy of what Christ has done for you. You begin to live it out. You work it out. You learn to be more kind. You learn to be a little bit more patient. Is that easy? No. It comes over time with the Holy Spirit working in you, helping you, pointing things out that need to change. And either you resist Him and you kick and scream, or you cooperate with Him. But I, I wish all of us, I speak to myself, I wish that we would not kick and scream. You know why? Because God is absolutely relentlessly determined to make you like His Son. And He's going to make you like your son, like His Son. Whether you kick and scream a bit or whether you cooperate with Him. He is, he is committed to making you more like Jesus. So best we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Live a life worthy. Show grace. 
What does he say at the end of chapter 1? Don't be scared by those that oppose you, your enemies. Don't be scared by them. Verse 27 to 30. Then he says in verse, first four verses of chapter 2, show grace and humility towards each other. Have the same attitude as Jesus. That's part of working out this great salvation and taking responsibility for your life. That's the first thing I want to say to you this morning. We work out our salvation by taking responsibility for our own lives. We work it out. Clive, I can't work out your salvation for you, but you can work out your salvation for yourself. Stuart, same for you. Helen, same for you. Lauren, same for you. Work out your salvation. Josh, work out your salvation. You see, the second thing I'd like to point out for you, do you notice that Paul, he, he, he helps his friends not become too dependent on him. Do you notice that? Look what he says. Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. What does that mean? I think this is what it means. It means that none of us should become too dependent on pastoral care for our own lives. Now, I want to be careful what I say. There are absolutely times that we need the help of other people. We need people to do. There's also the scripture that says, um, care for each other's souls. So I'm not saying this in isolation. But what Paul is saying is here is, is don't become too dependent on other people. There's certainly times that we need each other. We need leaders. We need pastors in the church. But Paul is saying, don't get too dependent on me because I'm not always going to be with you. Do you notice that? He's saying, he's saying, I'm sometimes with you. I'm with you in your presence. But even more when I'm away from you, you work this out. So in other words, the same obedience that you've demonstrated when I was with you, much more. Shame that, show that same obedience to God the Father, even when I'm not with you. You see, for me, that's what a good pastor does. A good pastor helps others when they need help, gets alongside them, walks with them, encourages them, helps them to, to see the work of the Holy Spirit so that their hearts get healed and mended. But then a good pastor doesn't allow people to become dependent on him. He wants people to be dependent on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who's infinitely better at bringing healing than any one of us. We are to work out our salvation regardless of who is around us or who is not around us. We are called to work out our own salvation. In other words, we've got to learn to lean on God for His care for us. At the end of the day, all of us need to learn to depend on God rather than on people primarily. Work out your own salvation, says Paul. And then, he's so brilliant, Paul, eh? He does, always does brings clarity. And now it's just helping us to say, to see, it doesn't depend on you working out your own salvation. Even in this, what does he say? He says, for it is God in you who wills to work. Brilliant. He's saying, even as you work out your old salvation, even as you take responsibility for your own life, know that you are not on your own. God the Father, God the Spirit, God the Son is in you, and it is Him working with His power within you to will and to do. You're not on your own. You are never on your own. God is always with you. Amen. Thank you. God is always with you. And so Paul is trying to drive this point home. 
You know what? There was an old, when I was, I was a part of the Pentecostal movement many years ago, and there's this expression, let go and let God. Have you heard that expression? I want to say to you, it is always wrong. It is always wrong. You don't just let go and let God. You don't just do nothing and relax and say, oh, God's done everything. No, there are part of your, 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 there's a part of your life that you fully cooperate with the Holy Spirit, that you fully take responsibility for. And you say, God, I'm cooperating with you. I'm not just letting go now. I'm saying, actually, Holy Spirit, fully, I want to cooperate with you in my life. I'm taking responsibility for what you're saying, and you and I are going to work this out together. And, he, and Paul says we do that. Why? Because it's God that powerfully works in us to will and to do. That's the basis of his appeal. God is never going to leave you. I want to say that over you this morning. God is never going to leave you. Long before Winston Churchill thought of saying, never, 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 never give up. The Bible says it over and over and over and over again. Never give up. And the reason why you never give up is because your Father in heaven is with you. The author of the universe, the creator of the universe lives in you. Comforts you, gives you strength. That's why you never give up, because He, the Eternal One, is with you. That's a powerful thing. What did Wayne encourage us to do? He encouraged us to obey the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Remember? When you have a nudge of the Holy Spirit, obey. Why? Because the nudges of the Holy Spirit lead to good deeds. Good deeds don't save us, but what Paul is saying is here, even the desire to do good, even the desire to do the right thing, to produce that fruit, is a gift from God, and it is Him that wills that in you, and it's Him that gives you the power to see that fulfilled. It's all about Him. So Paul says, work out your own salvation. Now when you're learning to preach, they always say, give some practical application. You know, the theology is cool, but give the practical application. How does this work? So here we go. Here are some practical things. How can we practically work at our salvation? What does it mean from day to day? I want to give you some things. It's not ex exhaustive to conclude two minutes. It means working out your salvation means that you are attentive to what God has asked you to do. You are attentive. You take responsibility. You take it seriously. When He speaks to you out of, out of His Word, you don't kind of... You know, debate with him and say, I, I don't, I'm not sure that's quite what you're saying right now, Jesus. When he says something to you, you take it seriously. You, you obey. You take responsibility for it. It means that day by day, you encourage yourself. I don't know if people think I'm mad, but I work around a lot speaking to myself, encouraging myself, because I also get depressed. I also get down. I also feel the weight of the culture. I also feel the pressure of being a Christian. And getting up to preach and thinking, well, I wonder if anyone hears what I say. I feel that pressure. And I have to speak to myself and encourage myself daily and say, you, Anthony, get yourself together. Put your hope in God. Strengthen yourself in Him. Come on. It's like when you play golf. When you play a bad shot, you either scream at yourself and say, you always do that. Or you say, no, no that's not like you. You normally hit good shots. Come on now, you can do better. That's encouraging yourself. I encourage myself all the time. It means every day we have to remind ourselves 
that it's God's grace that works in our lives. Can I say to you again, the, 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 the gospel is just not for the unsaved. The gospel is for you. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. It's everything that you need. Every moment of every day when you get up and you go onto the tube and you commute to London, remind yourself as you're on that tube with a person's armpit in your nose that you need the grace of God for that day. And you open your heart and you say, Jesus, today I need your grace to help me navigate this day. There's no, we should all be on our knees every moment of every day acknowledging that it's Him that wills and does in our lives. It means we remind ourselves that everything we know of God's will, we put into practice. It means that we especially um, remind ourselves that God is asking us to transform our minds and have the attitude of Jesus. This is what it means to work out your salvation. It means that it's your daily duty to, to, to put to death anything in your life that quenches the Holy Spirit's passion. I have one prayer for my son, who is at Bournemouth right now, and I'm not trying to embarrass him, that he doesn't give in to the cynicism of his, of his contemporaries. It is so easy to be young and cynical. So easy! You can find fault with everything and everyone. It takes grace to acknowledge the good and to work with God with the good to see the kingdom come. Anything that puts the Holy Spirit's passion in your life to death, do away with it. What does Paul say? Stir up the gift that is within you. Blow on that fire in your heart. Blow on it and let it ignite and get bigger and burn brighter. That's how you work out your own salvation. Spend time speaking to God about what He's calling you to do. Ask Him to give greater revelation through His Word into your life. Sing songs of worship. That's how you work out your salvation. You can get depressed like the rest of the culture and Brexit and all that stuff, which is totally depressing all the time. Or you can sing songs of praise to him and say, Jesus, you are still the king on the throne. You are still seated at the right hand of the Father. You are praying for me right now. I choose to be encouraged. Come on. You want to be depressed? Just read the news every day. It's enough to make you depressed every day for the rest of your life. What will you choose? Never give up. I've said it already. Why? Because God is achieving His purpose for your life. He's not ever going to let go of you. He loves you with the power of His infinite love and is committed to making you more like His Son. And go out. Working out your salvation means this. You go into the world and you live like you are a citizen of another kingdom. That's what it means to work out your salvation. I have come to be comfortable with this fact that I do not belong here. This is not my home. It's never been my home. I felt like an outsider for many years. And it's not because I'm South African. <laughs> it's because I'm a citizen of a heavenly kingdom and my home is not here. That's what we live for. We live for a heavenly reward when one day we will hear God say of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Work out your own salvation. 
whether your family is or not, whether your husband is or not, whether your wife is or not. Paul says, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, knowing it is God in you who wills, who gives you the ability to hear His voice and to know what you, you need to do, and He gives you the Spirit to enable you to do that. That's how you work out your salvation. I really pray that you'd continue to think about these things as we approach Christmas, that we might celebrate His goodness to us, eh? The incarnate Son of God, making Himself flesh and dwelling amongst us, working that out daily and living like citizens of another kingdom, as we are. Amen. Well, pray for me this afternoon. Because I find Sunday afternoons really hard. Do you know why? Because I lead worship, and uh, now I've preached to you, and I, I, I know it's going to come. The devil is going to get on me about lunchtime and say, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Those people are not going to come back. You know why? Because you shouldn't have rebuked them in the worship and said, come on, let's, let's worship. I know it's going to happen. So pray for me. I appreciate it. And I'm going to pray for you. And we're going to have some wonderful coffee together. And I should say this too. The tea is also the best in town, right? <laughs> Jesus, we just acknowledge our need of you, our need for the gospel in our own lives, our need of your grace. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that is in us, that enables us to know what to do and gives us the power to do it. Lord, I pray for my friends here this morning that every one of them would, every one of us would work out our salvation this week. That we wouldn't live as citizens of an earthly kingdom, but we would live as citizens of the kingdom that is still coming. Your kingdom. That has already transformed our hearts, but help us to live as citizens of that kingdom this week as we work out our salvation as we respond to the amazing gift, the sheer gift of grace that you've lavished on us. Help us to live not as cynical human beings, but as those that have your perspective and your life working within us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. May God bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, give you peace. <laughs>